values that we have for the junior high kids is they're, they're in here doing worship with us. They're in here when we do baptism. They're in here when we do communion. And what we want them to do is learn how to do big church, for lack of a better word. So it's part of their um, training, I guess you could say. So come here, do worship, and then every Sunday, uh, right about this time, we'll dismiss Roots. Hey, I want to tell you a little alpha story. Uh, maybe it'll help you to relate. Uh, maybe it won't, but um, I had a gentleman call me up, and I really didn't know him very well. We uh, met each other over the death of a mutual friend about seven years ago. Um, so at the funeral and through the conversation, we just got to know each other very little, but he knew I was a pastor, and he said, can I come talk to you? I wrote a book. I just want to share some things, and he walked to my office, and um, literally, maybe a half hour, hour before he came, I was praying, God, who, who do you want me to invite to Alpha? I know you've talked to me about a few people, and I'm going to invite them, but who else? Is there somebody else? And here's this guy sitting in my office, and probably for 35, 45 minutes, he just keeps saying, I have so many questions. I got so many questions, and he'd ask me a question. Like, I, I mean, he must have said it like, I don't know how many times. And it was sort of like after a half hour, the light bulb went off, and I actually like could see, in my head, I could see the question. I was like, Oh, yeah, we have this thing at Grace called Alpha, which is all designed to help people who have lots of questions. So I say that just to encourage you that if you're not paying attention, as I guess I wasn't, you can miss the very opportunity that God puts in front of you to invite somebody. So we're, we're all praying. 500 guests. We have this going on at the church, two different nights, Monday or Sunday afternoons, Tuesday nights. We got it going on at Fishbones on Monday nights, at the War Memorial on Monday nights, at uh, Mercury Bar on Wednesday nights in people's homes, all these different venues. There's really no excuse. People can get to it, but you start praying, Lord, um, tell me you'd invite, and I guarantee you God's going to answer that prayer. Somebody's going to be sitting in front of you, and hopefully you'll be a little quicker than I was, and then you just give them a card, and you just say, hey, here's where we're meeting. Love for you to come, um, and I will tell you, it's always best to ask for a commitment, so you can say to somebody, hey, we're having this thing called Alpha, and they can say, thanks for telling me, or you can say, I'd really love for you to come. Would you like to come with me? Will you be there? And when they say yes, it creates a different level of accountability for them, and then they'll come. So keep inviting people to Alpha. If you are participating in Alpha, and I assume all of you are, we need to know where. So please, 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 if you haven't yet, stop at the kiosk on the way out and just say, I'm doing it Monday, I'm doing it Sunday, I'm doing it uh, Wednesday, whatever you've decided to do. If you're doing it in your home, we need to know that too. Um, just give us all the information. If you know who your guests are, or if you even know I'm bringing six guests, just if we, we just need the information so we can make sure we are ready for all that God is going to do. 500 guests is a lot of guests, isn't it? So I want to give you a little update. We announced over the course of uh, a few weeks that we were trying to raise $50,000 for SOAR tutoring through the fund run, and we raised $54,000. Thank you. So well done. Um, I did run, and just to be honest, um, my motivation was to beat the two girls from Grace that were in front of me, and I did. <laughs> Not all the girls, but the two I could see in front of me, I had to save seven. So anyway, I did run, and if you missed it, do it next year. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's just people walk, people run. It's just great community out there. Uh, one more reminder, there's a bajillion things we do. Just read your bulletin and catch up to that. But today, specifically, we have new member class. Starts at 3 o'clock. Uh, in 6, 6.30, we have a dinner in there. Uh, just a chance for you to know who we are as a church, why we do what we do, how we do what we do. We talk about discipleship. We talk about uh, our history, uh, what we believe. But more importantly, we give you a chance to ask questions of us so you can decide if Grace is the church for you to belong to. Uh, you don't need to be a member. You don't have to be a member. 
Um, and if you come to the class, we don't require that you become a member, but if you're exploring that, uh, it is a requirement of membership that you come to the class. So it's been a good month at Grace, and I got to be honest with you, one of the things that I have thoroughly enjoyed is I ask you at the beginning of the month to text me, to email me, uh, whatever communication works best for you, just to, to let me know what God was doing. So we've been doing this series called Pursuit. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines, and I just wanted to hear, as you practice some of these disciplines and make space for God, what's God doing in your life? And I have loved it. So I'm going to ask you to continue to do that. We're done with Pursuit. Uh, but we're not done learning, and we're not done growing, and we're not done experiencing God. And I just love getting those emails. I love hearing about how God is moving in your home and at work and in those places. So continue to send them my way, and I want to continue to share them because I think sometimes these stories, um, that could be the sermon. It really is just a powerful thing to hear how God is moving. So I want to read a story from this week um, that somebody sent me, a lady sent it, and she said, Monday... I had a lot going on at work. We're being audited by the state of Michigan. That doesn't sound like much fun. And it's so stressful. And then in parentheses it said, need chocolate. After 11 hours, I went to leave. I couldn't find my keys. I had to have my daughter bring me the spares. Oh, and the battery was dead. So I needed a little jump. I went to switch lanes on the freeway, and I saw my hood trying to raise up. It was so scary. I had to get off and close it. Finally got home. I cried to my husband who, by the way, was leaving the next morning on a business trip. In parentheses again, it says, if only I could have a candy bar. (laughs) I said uh, to my husband, let's pray for safe travels. We held hands. I spoke two words, and my husband had to finish praying because I could not. My tears just wouldn't allow for it. Tuesday was more of the same. Long hours. It was crazy. I missed one of my kids' uh, teacher's open house that night because I was running late. Ugh. Fasting my sweet treats and no husband around to complain to. I left the school, sat in my car, defeated and overwhelmed. Can you relate? Thinking that surely a cupcake would make things all better. I YouTubed Break Every Chain, the extended version. That's the song we ended with last week. And when I got home, I just sat there. I didn't get out of my car. I just listened and I cried. I couldn't pray, but it was like the music prayed for me. And as I sat there crying in the dark, listening to the words that I really didn't feel like listening to, I heard a voice say, you are leaning on the wrong things. And the current series all came together. Everything I've been learning at Grace, along with the music and the leader's encouragement, it all came together. It was a James 4-8 sort of moment. Today I woke up and played the song again, giving thanks to Christ. There really is an army rising up to break every chain. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? So I cannot express to you how encouraging it is to open an email or a text and read something like that. So please uh, keep it coming. It's just refreshing and exciting, and I will continue to share with you how God is moving amongst you. Grab your Bibles, your e-readers, whatever you use at home. We encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you study at home from your iPad or whatever it is, bring that with you uh, so you can just navigate through it. So if you're electronic, that's fine. But turn to Luke chapter 6. There are Bibles under your seat, Luke chapter 6. And uh, I just w- I want to just let you know, I'm staying in Luke 6 throughout the day, this morning, so if you want to put your bulletin in there, if you want to uh, hold your place there, even after I read this opening section, I'm going to come back to Luke 6 a few times, so make sure you just keep something where you can get back to it relatively quickly. I also want to remind you that if you are a person who uses social media, if you Facebook, if you tweet, uh, any of those many different ways of doing it, we want to encourage you to do it this morning. So if you hear something that stirs in you, a phrase, if you've already heard something through the singing, 
uh, send it out there on social media. And what we've decided is we are going to take back the social media and we're going to use it for the kingdom of God. So if you want to tweet, tweet away. But don't be checking your email. All right. Luke 6, 43 through 45. It says, and by the way, this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. These are Jesus' words teaching. So if you have a Bible with red letters, these are all going to be in red. But Jesus says in verse 43, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes as we talk about Luke 6, if we talk about good trees and bad trees and good fruit and bad fruit, Lord, I pray that the words that I speak would be from you. I pray that they would land on the hearts of good soil and that they would bear fruit. Lord, I pray that we would receive what you want us to receive. I pray anything that I say that's not of you would just fall away, uh, but what is of you would take root. And we pray this morning what we pray every single Sunday, that we would leave different than we came because we interacted with the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I read the words of the good tree and the bad tree in Luke 6, I can't help but uh, think about my own story. And I know many of you have heard my story, but many of you haven't. Uh, and I thought this morning was a good chance to kind of uh, share a little bit of my own journey because uh, it fits so well to Luke 6. But I've been at Grace uh, for 22 years. And I didn't start at Grace um, as an employee. I didn't start on staff at all. As a matter of fact, like you are, I just came to Grace and I was just a, a messed up guy that needed to uh, experience the love of God. And the truth is, it was actually Meg that started coming here. Uh, she was actually driving down Moross and saw families walking into this church uh, some 22 years ago and decided she was going to try it. And so she came and she experienced Grace and she experienced grace, if you know what I mean. She experienced the love of God. She experienced, she experienced something different. God began to pursue her in a different way, and she began to pursue her relationship with Jesus. And I have to be honest with you, it was very annoying for me. Um, I was actually uh, kind of perturbed at her and at God um, for this awakening that she was having, um, because I'd made a decision uh, a long time ago to run from God. When I was just a boy, I made a decision. I walked the aisle and I accepted Christ as my personal savior. I grew up in the church. I learned a lot about the Bible. I went to Christian schools, had a good, solid upbringing. Um, but I kind of figured somewhere along the way that I could do better for myself, that I could provide for myself in a, in a better way. So I began this season of running from God. I knew when I was really young that I was supposed to be a pastor. Um, and honestly, uh, I really didn't like the church. I know that's hard to say, but for me, what I saw when I looked at the church was a lot of people who talked about a lot of stuff and did very little of it. And I always say this, but the truth of the matter is hypocrisy is the seed of rebellion. So if you tell your kids to do something, but you're unwilling to do it, they will see that hypocrisy and it will cause a seed of rebellion to spring up in them. So when we say to kids, hey, we love you, 
but their circumstances and society and the environment that they have to live in and, and all that goes on around them says something very different to them, that they're not valued or they're not loved, then those kids become angry. They become rebellious. So hypocrisy plays a big role in, in, in breeding this hypocrisy. But somewhere on, along the way, and I'm not making excuses, but, but I became rebellious and I walked away from the church and I walked away from God or I tried to walk away from God. The bottom line is God said well, to me, he said, will you serve me with your life? And I said, no. And for 12 years, I ran from God. And here's the deal. It was an extremely fruitful season. But to use the words of Jesus in Luke 6, I was a bad tree and I produced bad fruit. The truth is you, you can't thumb your nose at God. You can't run from God and bear good fruit. So let me tell you a little bit about the suit, the, the fruit of this rebellious season. I became very prideful, very angry, very driven, and very selfish. I had extremely poor listening skills. I raged on my coworkers, and I raged on my family. I was a very detached father. I was a profoundly neglectful husband. I was overindulgent in all kinds of harmful ways. I know it probably comes as a shock, but in that season, my marriage was pretty much a wreck. Crazy, isn't it? But here's the deal. God has put Meg and I in this amazing place where we get to uh, journey with people who are struggling in their marriage. And I think one of the beauties is Meg and I can have hope for your marriage when you have no hope for your marriage because our marriage was as bad as it gets and it is so sweet now, and it's just a, a, a picture of God's redemption, a picture of what God can do when God gets involved. So I do believe sometimes in my office, as we're having a conversation, we have more hope than the couple that we're sitting with because we've experienced something along the way. So during the season of running from God, you know, the last place I wanted to be at home, Meg and I, we fought all the time, and, and all of this bad fruit in our home is what actually pushed Meg to come to this church. She knew that we needed something, and she thought that the something we needed might be God. So she saw the church, and she came in, and she had this revelation, and she started to walk with God. And she started to tell me about her experience, and she started to tell me about her friend. She started to tell me about her small group. And somewhere along the way, in a moment of weakness, I decided to come to church with her. Um, yeah. I didn't get a clap for that in the first service. I should talk to them. No, I'm just kidding. So anyway, uh, for me, I remember. I don't remember the conversations all that much. I don't remember the Sunday that I decided uh, to come with her like anything before it. But I remember walking through the doors. The double doors are down there before the sanctuary existed. I remember walking in the doors, and I heard the Spirit of God whisper to me, Welcome home. It wasn't a two-by-four to the back of the head. It wasn't a slap across the face. It wasn't a... After all I've done for you, it was a prodigal son coming home and God saying, welcome home. Now, I don't want to deceive you. I don't want to paint a, an inaccurate picture. Um, there was a season of deep repentance. There was a season of grief. There was a season of having to go through some godly sorrow for the things that I had done. And, and there were difficult things. And, and, and I also want you to hear this. It's not like Meg and I walked in the church and flipped a switch and everything was better. What took years to entangle 
was going to take time and intentionality in the work of God in our lives to untangle. But he began to untangle that mess that I had made of our lives, and he began to do a pretty amazing work in us. And you know what? We began to bear good fruit. Megan and I have this deep sense that God has us in his hands, that whatever he asks us to do, he's going to take care of us. We have this sense of, of joy and, and knowing that God is our provider and God is going to take care of us, a lesson that we have to keep leaning back into all the time. We're growing more and more in our understanding of God's love and grace in our lives. And you know what that does? That allows us to love others and to love each other more and more. That's the fruit of walking with God. We have a great marriage. We have a deep love and respect for one another. There's really no person on earth I'd rather spend time with than Meg. And it's just one of the greatest miracles of my life to know what it was, excuse me, and to know what it is. Yeah, amen is right. So I believe that Meg and God have both shown me undeserved grace forgiven me of uh, some pretty profound things. And Jesus says, those who are forgiven much, love much. And it's a testament to the power of God. So the fruit of walking honestly with God, it's spilled over into our kids. I don't, you know, I, I don't think our kids are perfect, but we have a great relationship with our kids. We talk about everything with our kids. We talk about sex. We talk about dating. We talk about work. We talk about faith. We, we have great conversations together. Uh, we have great fun together. And I believe that's the fruit of walking with God. You know, the, the fruit of walking with God has spilled over into the work that I do. So Eagle Sports is part of just God using me as I tried to walk faithfully with him. So having those 2,000 kids playing sports and the kids in the tutoring program, that's all just a part of how God has used a season of faithfulness to bear a different kind of fruit in my life. But here's the bottom line. How we live our lives or said differently, who we live connected to determines if the tree is good or if the tree is bad. It determines if the fruit is good or the fruit is bad. So John 15, the vine verses that we probably, most of us are familiar with, Jesus is, t is talking and he says, stay connected to, walk with me, allow yourself to be grafted into the vine and you will bear good fruit, fruit that will last. I want to make sure I give you a couple qualifiers because I, I don't want you to leave here uh, disillusions. But I am still messed up. I still fall short of what God's asking me to do on an all-too-regular occasion. Uh, but this is what God is showing me, and this is the thread that runs throughout this morning that I want all of you to hear. This is not about perfection. This is about devotion. Let me say that again. This is not about perfection. It's about devotion. I've learned that God's not looking for me to get it all perfect every time because I can't, because I'm just me. But what I do know is that when I lean into him, he shows up on my behalf. So what is, the, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. I'm in need of God's mercy every day, but I also feel God's strength in my life. So this is why if you look at grace and how we do grace, we say to you, one of the six essential things you need in your life to grow spiritually. So remember, we talk about the six essentials all the time. One of them is devotion, a heart fully devoted to God. Remember, not about perfection, it's about devotion. You cannot bear fruit. 
You cannot have a strong relational connection with God and with people without a heart of devotion. And the question you have to have to ponder is who or what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? Jesus says in verse 33, no good tree bears bad fruit and nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. I wanna be a good tree. I want people to recognize the good fruit. I want us to be a church full of good trees bearing good fruit. A church full of people devoted to following Jesus. When people look at grace, I want them to say, there's something different about that place. People should be able to see and recognize the good fruit of this church. Remember, our devotion to God determines the fruit that we'll bear. Devotion determines whether you're in or you're out, whether you're good or whether you're bad, whether you're obedient or disobedient. So when I was young and I was producing all of that bad fruit, I knew who Jesus was, but I can tell you I was not devoted to Jesus. Knowledge and devotion are two very different things. If we keep reading in Luke and we get to verse 46, Jesus asks this amazing question. And I believe he asks the question to make us think. So often Jesus used questions to get people to go to a deeper level. And this is one of those cases. And you could read this sermon and there's a lot there and it's all in red. And you could go right past this question. But my encouragement to you is don't blow past the question. Pay attention to it. Jesus says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You could rephrase the question like this. You could say, why do you say you're a Christian, but you don't act like it? Or you can say, why do you say you're devoted to me, but you don't follow my leading at all? It's not a rhetorical question. And the truth is, if we're really honest with ourselves, all of us need to answer the question because at some level, all of us are guilty of not doing everything that Jesus is asking us to do. So there's room for all of us to ponder this question. Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and and not do what I'm asking you to do? I want to give you just three possible reasons why this might be our response. And I think there's probably hundreds of reasons, but I only have 30 minutes, so I'm only going to give you three. First reason why we say, Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says is because we probably don't know what Lord means. And actually, it's hard to know what Lord means in our culture because we don't live in a patriarchal system. We don't live in a, in a, in a place where we have kings and lords and, and, and slavery and all of that. It's just, it's, it's, it, it's, it's just a different culture. So the idea of true lordship is pretty foreign to us. We don't even really apply it within a work setting, and, and, and that's all good and well. But it kind of means we probably have a, a skewed understanding of what it really means to be Lord. But to be Lord means, one, having power and authority over others— on whom service and obedience is due. So it's possible for you that for you, Jesus is just a way to feel better. You find this Bible stuff just fascinating. It's so cool when, the, when things get connected together and you see how it's all playing out. So it, it, they say it tickles your ears. It's just a fascinating thing to learn about. And when I think about Jesus, I just feel better inside. That's a good thing. But being a fan does not make Jesus your Lord. Maybe you just want Jesus as your Savior. You heard about this amazing 
act on the cross. Jesus came and he died, and if you put your faith in him, you'll have eternal life and you won't go to hell, and that's a good thing. But Jesus is your savior, so you get your card punched and you have the insurance card, but you've never really got the concept of Jesus as savior and Lord. I love that often when you read historical literature, that you see the servant of the house or the servant saying to the, the, the king says, your words are my command, right? That's what submission and lordship really means. Your words are my command. Remember, it's not about perfection. It's about devotion. Jesus, I'm willing to do what you ask me to do. I'm devoted to you. If you ask me to do it, I'm going to do it. And I may not do it perfectly, but I'm going to move in obedience, and I'm going to do that thing that you're stirring in me to do. So maybe it's because we don't know what Lord is, but I think one of the big reasons, and I think this is probably one of the biggest, is we fail to grasp the love and the goodness of God. You know, the more you know that God is a good, good father, the more you trust him, the more the, you know that he knows you. And, and here's the deal. This isn't about knowing. This is about knowing. You know, you know what I'm saying when I say that? Like, we can know things in our head, but when you know in your gut that God really loves you, and when you know in your gut that God has got you in his hands, and when you know deep down inside that, look, if God's asking me to do it, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Even if it feels scary to me, I'm still going to do it. So we got to get to that place where we know God differently and we trust that what, excuse me, what God is asking is for our benefit. We're going to see in just a minute that God actually asks us to do some really difficult things. And if you don't have this deep understanding and, and knowledge of the trust of God in your, in your inner person, then what that does is it, it wells up as fear in us. And when we have fear, then we do what I call the what if thing. Well, what if I do go and I apologize to that person and they don't respond the way I want them to? What if I stay pure and I never get married? What if I stand up for what's right at work and I end up getting fired? Our what-ifs are rooted in fear. And what does fear do? Fear causes paralysis. Have you ever been so scared that you can't even move? But the Bible tells us what about fear? It says perfect love casts out all fear. So when you know the love of God, again, know the love of God, then those things he's asking you to do that are scary, you know they're for your benefit, and you're willing to push through whatever initial fear you have to say, and put it aside, say, God loves me. He wouldn't ask me to do this if it wasn't for my benefit. God wants to bless me. He wants to prosper me. And, if he, and he's sending me on this journey, and you begin to understand the greatest adventure of your life is following God in obedience, and there's nothing greater than walking out these things and being a part of the adventure. I spent over a decade of my life believing that I could provide for myself better than God. I failed miserably, but what I failed to do is grasp the inexplicable love of God. And to be honest with you, another reason that I did what I wanted to do is I was just a selfish brat. And that's the third reason I want you to see. We are selfish and we want immediate gratification. I was living in the moment. I didn't have any kind of eternal perspective. I wasn't thinking about the kingdom. I wasn't thinking about how my actions were going to affect other people. I wasn't thinking big picture at all. I wanted what I wanted, and I wanted it when I 
wanted it. This one is so connected to the first one. If we have this selfish, immediate gratification attitude, it really is saying, I want to be my own Lord. I want to make whatever decision I want to make when I want to make it. I don't want to have to check in with God. I don't want anybody to tell me what I can and can't do. I want control. We buy into the old 70s slogan. You remember this slogan said, if it feels good, do it. Let me tell you what that breeds. It breeds slavery. Slavery to sin and slavery to self-gratification. I know what I'm saying is, is hard stuff, and I know it probably feels like I'm pouncing on you, but I just want to remind you what I said earlier. It's not about perfection. It's about devotion. So if we look at this amazing question that Jesus asked. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? If you think about the question for a minute, there's an implication in the question that we know what he said. Because he doesn't say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't listen to me? And he doesn't say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and you didn't pick up on anything? What he says is implied in the question is, you know what you're supposed to do, right? You've already heard what you're supposed to do, but you're not willing to do it. And I think this is more prevalent than we may even realize. And I've had a chance to kind of uh, play this out with a few people um, and I'm going to do it with you right now, but I know this is going to make you uncomfortable, and um, I don't mind making you uncomfortable. Uh, I'm going to give you 60 seconds, I'll actually even set my watch, of silence, which for some of you will feel like an eternity. Um, and I want you to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? What is that thing you want me to do? And here's what some of you already know. Some of you already know you've been hearing it for two weeks, three weeks, one week, God has been telling you, you need to go do this. And you already know, before I even get to the silence, I know what I'm supposed to do. Great. You're, then you can just sit quietly and not pray. But for the rest of you, just pray. In the moment of silence, I'm going to pray this prayer. I just want you to sit here. And 60 seconds may seem like an eternity, but it'll be good for us. So, God, in this quiet minute, I ask that you would show me, that you would show us what you want us to do. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to stop doing? Who do you want us to go to? Lord, would you just speak in these next 60 seconds? Some of you, that was the hardest minute of your day. For some of you, that's the quietest you've been in a month, right? So we don't do silence very well, but I want to encourage you. Silence is a beautiful thing. To sit quietly and listen to God is a beautiful thing. And, and I also want to encourage you, uh, if in that minute you don't know, you didn't get a nudge from God, that's okay. I've been doing this all week with people, 
And um, it wasn't until the nine o'clock service in the worship set that I knew what God was calling me to do. And I, I'm not so sure, but to be in a moment of true transparency, I'm pretty sure he may have told me earlier. <laughs> I just didn't want to hear it earlier. And in the moment of worship, it was pretty clear to me, you know, you know what you're supposed to do, Doug. And guess what? I don't want to do it. Right? But I also know that if I do it, God's in it. Right? So, so my encouragement to you is to listen and, and, and do the thing that God is, is pressing on your heart to do. Jesus makes it clear in his question. You, you call me Lord, Lord, but you, you don't do what I tell you to do, which says, uh, I've already spoken. I, I am a God who speaks. I am intimately and personally involved in your, in your life, and, I, and I'm speaking to you. But, but he also speaks through his word. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, if you read this particular sermon, Jesus has already told them what they're supposed to do. So when he gets to this point, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I do? He's pointing back to what he'd already said. So if you look at verse 27, he says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. That's easy, right? <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do to others as you would have do, them do to you, the world-famous golden rule, right? Verse 37, don't judge, do not condemn. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, love people in a radical way. The Sermon on the Mount turned everything on its head, and Jesus said, I know, you, I know you think it's supposed to be like this, but let me tell you how it actually is. You are to love the people that are the hardest to love in your life. That's who I want you to love, because he even says, what good is it if you love people that are easy to love? Even sinners do that. Right? And he's saying, I want you to love people in this radical, out-of-the-box sort of way. And, and by doing that, something supernatural is going to happen. What's our mission statement here at Grace? We are? All right, we got to do it together once, though. We are? Jesus says, look, if you're going to call me Lord, if your heart is really devoted to me, then you ought to look like me. Your fruit ought to look like the fruit of Jesus. If you want to live like Jesus, you got to love like Jesus. You got to forgive like Jesus. You got to sacrifice like Jesus. We got to love each other in a radical, unexpected way. Even if they're not making good choices, even if they're older, younger, different color, different socioeconomic status, it's not easy. But Jesus is even saying, you got to love the people that hurt you the most. You got to love the people that abused you. If you summarize what Jesus is saying, he's saying, love the people who are difficult to love. And here's the deal. There is this deep connection between how we move towards people and how we love people and the way we extend grace and forgiveness and, and, and mercy towards other people and our ability to connect together. This ability to really be devoted to God is connected to how well we love people and our ability to be devoted to God and, and check in with God and God pouring into us helps us. There's like this, this synergy that goes on between the two, but God is gonna call you to love people in a radical, radical way. Our fear, and there's that word again, of being hurt like we were in the past keeps us from exposing our hearts. It keeps us from taking risks in relationships, including our relationship with God. I have to protect my heart. I can never be hurt like that again. And that, that posture of protecting your heart actually becomes a prison for you. 
The biggest problem I, I think we have in loving God and, and loving others is letting go and forgiving. I hear people say to me, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how I was treated, the abuse, the abandonment, ignored, belittled, bullied. You don't know. And the truth is I don't, but God does. And he says, you don't have to carry all that anymore. You don't have to carry all of the, the weight of that of unforgiveness. I have what you, what you need. I can walk you through this. You can let go of that burden that you're carrying. Jesus actually says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. In me, you will find rest for your soul. You need some rest for your soul? One of the important steps for me as I came back to grace and began to get my life right with God and walk out with God is I had to go through a hard season of letting go of a long stretch of sexual abuse as a little kid. I had to let go of something that was keeping me from experiencing all of what God had for me. I had to let go of that so I could take hold of him. Jesus says, if you call me Lord, if you're truly devoted to me, you will offer undeserved forgiveness, unmerited grace to others in your life. What makes me uh, sad about this is I think for most of us, the people that have hurt us the most, if we're really honest, the people that it's hardest for us to love in this way are the people who should have loved us the best. So it's about fathers who didn't step up and do what they should have done or abuse you or mothers who were neglectful or husbands who raged over you. And God says, I know, but I have a solution for this. I can step into that pain. You don't have to carry in it. I'll carry it for you. And you can be free from that to love them and to love others with this unconditional love. The other thing that comes out of this passage is Jesus says, don't judge. And it makes me sad that that's what we're known for. That the church in America is known for being uh, hateful and judgmental. And here's what I want you to hear. This is truth. This is absolute truth. But if you don't know Jesus, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you know what the Bible says this is? Nonsense. This is foolishness for those who are wasting away. So when we take this and we swing it in front of people that don't know Jesus and say, you need to act like this, they're not going to act like this because this is foolishness to those who are perishing. So we need to do something different in the way we approach people. This is absolute truth, but it's truth to us because we know Jesus. You know what Paul, the apostle Paul, you know what he said? He said, if this isn't true, we ought to have a big party. We ought to act crazy because tomorrow we're dead. The Apostle Paul says, look, if this isn't true, go crazy, do what you want to do. So when we look at the world and we judge them and we're harsh with them, when we're, when we're upset, when they don't vote the way we want them to vote, they're not believing in the truth of the scripture. Why would they? Because this is nonsense for those who are perishing. And here's what we're called to do. We are called to love God and love people, period. Period. Love God and love people. And we got to find it within ourselves to be that kind of a church. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you hold unforgiveness in your heart? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you judge others so harshly? 
People say to me often, especially in this new season of leading here at Grace, what's your vision for Grace? And here it is. My vision for Grace is that we would be a true community of people loving each other in a radical way. That our love for one another would spill out of these walls and that we would love this community in a radical way in the world around us. The truth is, my vision for Grace is that we would really be a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. John's going to come up, and he's going to do a song that he wrote a couple weeks ago that I just love. And we're just going to sing the song as a prayer. And uh, I know you've never heard it, but you will have this song within three minutes. It's just very simple but very beautiful. And we're going to sing it as a prayer back to God. And here's what I would like to invite. I know that when I talk about uh, daddy wounds, when I talk about uh, marital strife, that it stirs something in many of you. And this is a great place to come down and pray. We have a whole prayer team that's willing to pray with you. For you. you can do that while John's singing. You can do that after John's singing. But we just know sometimes you just need to leave something here. And so I'm going to pray now. John's going to sing. If you want to come down, great. If you want to just pray in your seat. But listen to the words. Pray them back. Let's be people fully devoted to God. Let's call him Lord and do what he asks. So Lord, I do pray right now that you would just move in us, that you would move through us. I pray today that we would each make another step in being more devoted to you. I know you call us to be fully devoted. Help us to be encouraged that it's not about perfection. It's about devotion. Lord, may we be a people whose hearts are fully devoted to you. And we ask that you would show up strong on our behalf, that you would do what we don't know how to do, that you would empower us where we need to be empowered, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Help us to be who you've called us to be. And Lord, for the people that sat and they heard that thing in their I don't want to do it. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage of Joshua to be strong and courageous for the Lord God is with you. So even now as we sing, if people feel the nudge, that they would come down and just pray. In Jesus' name, amen.